telling you, there's just nothing better than baptisms, is there? There's just nothing better than that. And praise God for that and praise God for uh, the ways in which he's at work in the lives of uh, people here at Faith Church. I, ha- I have to confess, I think it's a, uh, probably a pretty good opening too. I had a moment of panic. I'm sitting there and I go, look at my wife and go, where's my Bible? Where's my Bible? Like, where is it? I had left it over here during the baptisms. Um, but anytime we come to church and we're not going to open up the word of God, we should have a panic attack, all right? And uh, that, that should never, ever be the case uh, where we wouldn't get into, allow God's word to speak uh, into our hearts and into our lives. Now, we'll have a little bit uh, of a condensed version, and I will happily, happily have condensed versions of preaching. That means we get to baptize people. Uh, just to make sure we're clear on that. But Acts 15, okay, end of, end of Acts 15 is where we're going to start. We're going to uh, move through uh, to Acts 16.10 here this morning. Uh, title of the message is A Heart for the Gospel. A heart for the gospel. Uh, Dwayne has prayed for our time together, so let's just launch right into this. But as we come at, as we come at this passage here this morning, as we come at Acts, starting in uh, 15, verse 35, and move through 16, 10, we might look at this and go, well, there's three very distinct, three very isolated incidences uh, that, that are taking place or unfolding here. Uh, and, and yet, uh, they're very much connected to one another. And, and our, our tendency is to look at this and be like, well, what do these have to do? Well, they don't really have to do anything with each other. But remember, anytime we read the scriptures, uh, one of the questions we want to be asking right at the outset is what, what, is, what is the author wanting us to get? What are they wanting us to understand? Where is it that they're moving uh, us toward or to? And here as Luke writes this, right, as we think bigger picture, it started, right, it started a couple chapters ago with uh, Paul's first missionary journey. And then last week we looked at the Jerusalem Council, the inclusion of the Gentiles. And starting here this week, and really what will take us the next uh, three weeks, we'll see Paul's second missionary journey. And that's really where Paul is moving the reader, is he's moving us to this place where Paul is going to head back out, although not with Barnabas, and we'll see why here in a couple of verses, but uh, he's going to go with Silas. They're going to recruit Timothy on the way and head to a number of places uh, in what is present-day Greece uh, over these next few weeks. And as we move through these next few weeks, I found it interesting just kind of studying the journey as a whole, that it's really a comprehensive approach to the gospel. That, that in the latter part of the journey, uh, that there's a lot of reasoning that's going on, a lot of the intellectual engagement of the gospel. Uh, what we'll see next week in Philippians 16 uh, really deals with more of the physical uh, elements of the gospel, specifically Paul and Silas and the beating that they're going to take. Uh, for uh, the proclamation of the gospel. But like anything, what we'll see this week is before we ever get to the intellect, before we ever get to the the action, it starts with the heart. It starts with having a heart uh, for the gospel. And that's exactly where we find ourselves here. So let's start verse 35, Acts 15, verse 35. It says this, But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Right, so at the end of the Jerusalem council, they had uh, gone back, they delivered word, uh, they'd, they'd taken that letter back, here's what uh, we've decided, here's how we're to live, this is what this means, and they're teaching, and they're preaching, and so then look at verse 36, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. See, what we see, a heart for the gospel, what we see in verse 36 is a heart for those who have heard. 
You see them like one day they're, they're teaching and may, maybe, maybe they had a, a especially good day of teaching or preaching or a discipleship or whatever. And he's like, man, these guys got it. Let's go back. Let's check in with the other people that we took the gospel to. Let, let, let's go see how they're doing. Let's go and let's check in on them. See, the, the reality is well, the, the wisdom in this is not losing sight of the fact that the gospel's for each and every one of us. That the good news of Jesus Christ is for you, is for me, it's for those who have been walking with Jesus for 80 years, and it's for those who are as humanly possible far away from God as you could be. It's for all of us. And the mistake, listen, loved ones, the mistake is thinking that the gospel is somehow less relevant in your life today than it was the day that you got saved or for these seven people, the day that they got baptized or any other point in your life. The gospel is just as relevant in your life today as it was at any other point in time, or at least it should be. And God help us that we would not lose sight of that. And so yes, we preach and teach the gospel so that people get saved, but we preach and teach the gospel so that those who are saved are reminded of God's grace and his mercy and his forgiveness and his forbearance, that my salvation does not hinge upon whether I'm good enough or do enough or try hard enough, but it hinges solely upon the work of Jesus and what Christ has done in my place and in your place. This heart for the gospel, right? Part of this is a heart for those who have heard. There's a disconnect when we think that the gospel is only for those who are far from God. It's quite the contrary. Really, really what Paul and Barnabas are doing here, this is, this is discipleship. They want, they want to care for those who have heard. They want to make sure that they're good. And they do this by and through uh, the gospel. Just ask this in your own life. Do I care about the people around me? Do, do I have a desire? Do I have a willingness? Will I follow up with uh, the people that God has placed in my life? Do, do I have a concern for those who are believers? And that's exactly what we see here with Paul and Barnabas. They're, they're willing to be committed to those that God has placed in their lives. Are we willing? Listen, listen, listen. Are we willing to be committed to the people that God has placed in our lives? God help us, right? God help us as a church that we would do this and that we would recognize both sides of this, that, that I'm willing to be committed. I'm willing to have people speak into my life. I'm willing to have people say the hard word or the necessary word, but I'm also willing to do that, to be on both sides of this. And we have a heart for those that have heard. So this great idea, great idea by, uh, by Paul, and it goes sideways in a hurry. Look at verse 37. Uh, now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. Remember back in Acts 13, went out with them, and Luke kind of gives us a hint of that here again, and then he uh, departed from them, verse 38. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them. Some of your translations say deserted them uh, in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So can you see this playing out? Paul to Barnabas, hey man, I think this is a good idea. I think, I think we should go and check on the people that we ministered to. Yeah, man, that's a great idea. I'm going to go get John Mark and we'll head out. No, 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 no. We're not taking that guy. No, no, we're, we're going to take him. Like, we're going to take him with us. No, we're not taking him. I'm not going with that guy. And you can just begin to see how it begins to unravel. In fact, in uh, verse 39, it says, there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Like, it got so bad, right? At some point in time, probably the ultimatum came down. If you're taking him, I'm not going with you, right? And, and so it's like, all right, fine. Have it your way. 
And so look at what Luke tells us, verse 40, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers. Sorry, into verse 39, Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. I should point out that Mark and Barnabas were cousins, so there might have been some family thing going on there. Uh, Verse 40, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And with your Syrian Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, sometimes, sometimes we come to this passage and we treat this conflict as the epicenter or the emphasis of what's happening. It's not Luke's point. Now, Luke is real about the issues and the dysfunction in the church. Okay, he doesn't sugarcoat the reality that, that the early church, like any church, had some issues and problems. But he spends all of six verses talking about what happens here. And three or four of them are really describing the situation. He gives us one verse on the conflict. See, his point is not, this is not a comprehensive passage on how to deal with conflict management. He's just saying, listen, they got in a fight, they separated, and they went their separate ways. It's not the point. See, Luke's point is to move us to the bigger picture of this next missionary journey. Now, I think it's important for us to deal with the issue of conflict briefly while we're we're here. Because conflict, right, oftentimes we think conflict in and of itself is bad. It's not. In fact, oftentimes we arrive at conflict because we believe something so firmly that we're willing to fight for it. See, conflict oftentimes is not a bad thing, it's a good thing. Where conflict becomes a bad thing, loved ones, is when I'm unwilling or I fail to engage it or deal with it. To just leave it undone. To not come back to it, to to be at odds with each other, right? Uh, Romans 12 tells us, so long as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount, if you are there offering your gift at the altar and recognize that your brother has something with you, first go and be reconciled to your brother, then come back and offer your gift. See, the issue in conflict is if we choose to not deal with it, if we choose to not get it right. Now Luke gives us a very quick, very brief synopsis. They had a disagreement and they separated from each other. So they they work it out? They, they, They get it taken care of? Did they do anything about it? We know that they did. We know that they did. In 1 Corinthians, um, Paul commends Barnabas to the Corinthian church. In Philemon, verse 24, uh, Paul mentions Mark as one of the guys who's doing substantial ministry. And maybe uh, probably the best place to go for this is 2 Timothy 4. So 2 Timothy, last letter that Paul wrote. I mean, his death is imminent. And he's talking about some of the guys that have deserted him or left him or others who have gone to other places to do ministry. And I'm not sure if this is more a reflection of how boring Luke was or how much better things had gotten with uh, Paul and Mark. He goes, Luke alone is with me. Please send Mark. Okay? So I'm not sure if Luke just had the Borathon thing going with him or what, but obviously they had reconciled. The issue here is in conflict, though we can learn from this that even in conflict, that we can handle it righteously and that we need to handle it righteously. So a heart for the gospel, uh, first of all, a heart for those who have heard, which moves uh, Paul and Silas, and they're going to pick up Timothy here in just a moment, uh, to head out and begin the second missionary journey. Here's the second thing. Look at verses 1 through 5. Here, let me give you the principle up front. It says, a heart that goes great lengths for the gospel. It's a heart that goes great lengths for the gospel. Verses 1 through 5 really get at the motive of of the gospel. Verses 6 through 10 really get at the action or how uh, we do that. But let me read to us here verses 1 through 5. It says this, 
Uh, Paul also came to Derby and to Lystra. Remember in chapter 13 or 14 when he was uh, there? And uh, things went pretty south for Paul in those places. In fact, that's where he was stoned. A disciple was there named Timothy. And here's what Luke tells us about Timothy. His, his mom was Jewish, a son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. So mom, Jewish believer, dad, into verse 1, but his father was a Greek. Uh, doesn't seem to be that dad was a believer. We would assume that Luke would have told us that, but he didn't. Here's what else we know about Timothy. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. So Paul's like, and this is a guy to take with us. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And then check this out. And he took him and circumcised him. Wait, what? Didn't we just settle this issue? Wasn't that the whole issue with the Jerusalem council around this thing? And I mean, he just went to Antioch and delivered that letter. And now they're heading out and... Okay, well, hold on to that. We'll circle back around to it here in a moment. Let me read the next couple of verses. Circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places... For they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance. Right? This is what's crazy. The decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. Right? So now, they're, not only did he deliver the letter, they're going to these other places and delivering that same letter. And it's like, what is going on with Timothy here? Verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in faith and they increased in numbers daily. Okay, so what's, what's really going on? Why would Paul require Timothy to do this? Why would he ask him to do this when we just settled this issue, or what seems to be settled this issue a chapter ago? Well, okay, question. What was the issue with circumcision in chapter 15? Right, it was tied to salvation, right? If you go back to verse 1 of chapter 15, we believe that in order to be saved, you have to be circumcised. That, that, that was their statement. You can't be saved without being circumcised. Is, is he talking about salvation at all in here? No, in fact, not at all. In fact, look at verse 3. He took him and circumcised him. Okay, why, why, why? Well, here's why. Because of the Jews who were in those places. My party goes, so what? Who cares about those Jews? I mean, if I'm Timothy, I don't want to get circumcised. I got to do that for the Jews. Why would I do that? Well, here's why. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. See, we, we could go into all kinds of cultural, historical discussion around this. Suffice to say that there would be great confusion or at least the potential for great confusion to set in given Timothy's circumstance and situation family history. And so for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of clarity, to remove hindrances, to remove roadblocks, to get it all out of the way, Paul says, listen, just be circumcised, man. Just, just to remove the hindrance, to remove the barrier so there's not any confusion for these guys. Let's just cut to the chase. Now, now Paul, this could be a, simply a pragmatic thing. He's like, listen, we just can avoid some awkward conversations. I mean, it might, Paul might just have a battle fatigue. He's like, I'm sick and tired of fighting with the Jews over circumcision. Can we just do this? I mean, it might be totally selfish on his part for all we know. We don't know entirely uh, what exactly was driving this. But we do know, we do know that the primary issue had to do with removing any distraction from the gospel going forward. See, a heart that goes great lengths for the gospel. Now, Paul, this wasn't lost on Paul. This wasn't something that was foreign to Paul. In fact, Paul talked about this in his letter to the Corinthians. In fact, I'll flip over to 1 Corinthians 9. I want you to see this here. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, uh, you have Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, so about two books, probably 40, 50 pages away, uh, depending on the size of your Bible. But 1 Corinthians 9, I want to start in verse 19. And I want you to see, I want you to see what Paul says uh, regarding his willingness 
uh, to forego some freedoms here. He says this in verse 19, for though I am free from all, okay, starting point, I'm free from all. Okay, well, what are you going to do with that, Paul? Well, I'm going to choose, I'm going to choose this. For though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all. Why in the world would you do something like that? Well, here's why. That I might win more of them. I will forego the freedom. I will forego whatever it may be to remove any hindrance, to remove any roadblock, anything that would stand in the way of the gospel being more clear, more true, more real for the people that would hear it. And then Paul gives us a number of different ways in which he's going to do that. Verse 20, to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. You're like, big whoop, he was already a Jew. That's not even a stretch. But look at he goes on. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. No doubt, no doubt, a guy like Paul and all that he had lived through and all that he had suffered through, uh, freed from that, wanting nothing to go back to that. And that's why he says this parenthetically, though not being myself under the law, willingly subjecting himself to that. Okay, why? That I might win those under the law. Verse 21, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. He's like, but just in case you're wondering, I'm not really outside the law, I'm not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Okay, why would you do that? That I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak. That I might win the weak. Could have gone on and on and on, but essentially saying, let me sum it up by saying this, I've become all things to all people that by all means... I might save some. Why, Paul, why? I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them and its blessings. See, Paul wasn't asking Timothy to do something that he himself hadn't already done repeatedly in his life, that he was willing to forego, that he was willing to step away from, that he was willing to not um, participate in a particular freedom of his. Just think about your own life for a moment. What lengths... What lengths would I be willing to go to? What would I be willing to forego? What would I be willing to step away from? What thing am I maybe holding to or clinging to that, man, if it just came down to it, I just couldn't release that for the sake of the gospel. I try to think in my life, like, what would be some of the hardest things? I mean, just be real, okay? Um, probably the hardest thing. <laughs> if you came to me and said, Mike, I need you to be a vegetarian, okay? <laughs> I mean, that'd be really hard. I'm just being honest. It'd be hard, Okay? And, uh, and yet you start thinking about saying, well, I guess I could, eat, I could eat a lot of salads if that meant the expansion of the gospel. Okay, what else? Right? You start thinking in your life, you start thinking, about, okay, for me, another thing would be the opera. I just as soon never go to the opera ever, ever in my life, okay? But if that meant an expansion of the gospel, then so be it. Some of you are cowboy fans. <laughs> I'd do it, all right? I'd cheer for them. I would cheer for them only, only if it ensured an expanse of the gospel, all right? Now, I'm joking about some of those things, but I mean, in my life, those, those would be kind of hard things to do. Now, now, you start thinking in your life, okay, what, what, is it, what is it that I'd be willing to do? And I, you know, I talked about, okay, could I really just forego eating meat if that meant an expanse of the gospel? I, I could. Wouldn't want to. Wouldn't choose to probably spent a whole lot of time in Romans 14 after they got saved trying to convince them that it was okay and then celebrate by eating steak or something like that. But, but I, I, if it meant not doing that, then we don't do it. 
a heart that goes great lengths for the gospel, what would you not release to see the gospel expanded? Loved ones, what would you not release to see the gospel expanded? And then why? Why would you hold on to that? A heart that goes great lengths for the gospel. Here's the final thing. Uh, really, um, really similar to the title of the message, really the heart of, of, of the heart of sharing the gospel, but it's that. In verses 6 through 10, we see a heart for sharing the gospel. A heart for sharing the gospel. Verse 6. Now this, this is kind of crazy what happens in verse 6 and 7. Check this out. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Check this out. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. I mean, how crazy is that? They're like, okay, well, we're going to move on because God told us that we can't preach here. I mean, it, it's, it's one thing to have people telling you not to preach. It's another thing when God himself is like, hey, nope, you're not going to preach there. And so notice verse 7, they move on. And when they'd come up to Myasia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. And then here it happens again. But the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Like, what, what do you think is going through their mind at that point in time? I mean, it, okay, okay, God, what, what are you really after? You're telling us to preach. You're telling us to proclaim. You're telling us to share. And then every time we get somewhere, you're telling us, nope, not here. Nope, not here. And how easy, right? How easy it would have been to just be like, you know, forget it. We're going home. I mean, it's one thing to have opposition from out there. It's one thing to have people out there telling me no. It's another thing to have God shutting us down and telling us no. But look at the beginning of verse 8. Man, I love this. So passing by Myasia, well, they didn't go back to Jerusalem. They didn't go back to Antioch. They went down to Troas. They just kept going. See, here's, here's what's happening. They're persistent. They're persistent. Okay, there's going to come a point in time where God's going to give us a green light. We're just going to keep pressing. We're just going to keep being persistent in this. Roadblock after, I mean, Paul at this point in the book of Acts has seen all kinds of roadblocks, all kinds of hurdles that he's had to endeal or to endure and deal with. And they keep going. Now listen, listen, listen. When it comes to the roadblocks, when it comes to the hurdles in your life, are you willing to be persistent? Are you willing to keep going? Becky shared this story with me this week about, I don't know, it was like a high school kid or whatever it was. And the, the kid ran the, was it the 400 hurdles? Is that what he ran? Okay. Um, not much for hurdles. I'm not much for track and field because I'm just not that great of an athlete. But um, <clears throat> hurdles, hurdles seem like a pretty difficult thing to run. I mean, you, you literally, you're running and there's barriers in the way. I mean, for a number of you, it's like running is the barrier, much less sticking a barrier in the way. That just makes it that much worse. So anyway, 400 meter hurdles. Kid, kid heads out, you know, gun goes off. Everyone takes off first hurdle. What happens? Oh, he nails it. Just nails the thing. Now, if you know anything about racing and the hurdles, I mean, you've, you trip or fall over one hurdle, you're pretty much done. You're pretty much done for. Gets up, keeps going. Second hurdle, same as the first. <laughs> it's it, falls down. Okay, third hurdle, hits it. Okay, now at this point in time, like the race is probably actually over. I mean, guys have crossed the finish line. This guy's only three hurdles deep. You want to know what he did? He ran the entire race. Now listen, listen. He hit every single hurdle. Every single one of them. I mean, how easy it would have been at just one point. Pick yourself, forget it. I'm just going into the infield. This is ridiculous. He hit every one of them. So what do we learn from that? Besides the fact that the kid's a bad hurdler, right? What do we learn from that? That we finish the race. See, that we finish the race. And, 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 
Every single one of them. Now listen, a number of you, a number of you in your life, you're going to hit a lot of hurdles. You might hit every single one that comes your way. The issue isn't whether or not we're going to clear every hurdle cleanly. The issue isn't whether or not we're going to come to hurdles. The issue is, what are we going to do when we hit them and fall down? Am I going to get up and finish the race? Am I going to roll off into the infield? Am I just going to lay down on the track and quit? What am I going to do? How am I going to respond? See, because in the spiritual realm, the way that Jesus measures effectiveness and efficiency is not, it's not about who finishes first. It's who finishes and hears these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. See, if, if, if you're going to hear that, if you're going to hear that, no doubt, no doubt, no doubt, you're going to encounter all kinds of hurdles. And probably more often than not, you're going to trip and fall as you try to uh, jump over them. And how easy, how easy it would have been for Paul and Silas and Timothy to be like, forget it, let's go, let's be done. But they kept pressing, they kept moving forward. And here's why, because they knew that they had a mission to complete. Like we, we got a mission. God called us to this. One of my favorite scriptures in the entirety of the Bible uh, comes a few chapters later when Paul meets with the Ephesian elders in Acts 20. He, he tells them this. Listen to this. Let, let this just sink down into your soul. It says, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I'm going to finish what God started. I'm going to finish what he started in me. And Paul in 2 Timothy 4, as he's writing uh, that, that last book of his, he says this in verse 7. He says, I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now, I, I have in my mind this vision of Paul breaking the tape, accelerating. Like going faster at the moment that he finished than he had gone at any other point in time in his life. Don't you want that? Man, I want, to go, I want to be going faster than I ever have in my final moments. Now see, we don't, we'll never get there if we're not persistent. Right, they're persistent. Notice the secondly, verse 9. Uh, hard for sharing the gospel, verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and a man of Macedonia was standing there. Okay, what's that next word? Urging, pleading, petitioning him. Okay, you get it? See, it's urgent. It's urgent. Okay, what's he saying? Come over to Macedonia and help us. Okay, so he has this, this vision. Now, it's not, it's not, hey, Paul, like if you and Silas and Timothy get the chance and you're not busy, if you could come over to Macedonia when you have a moment, we'd appreciate it. Okay, that's, that's not what he's saying. Help! That's what he's saying. See, because It's urgent. It's urgent. I mean, he tells us that he's urging them. And then that word help, that's a really interesting word. Uh, the, the word help uh, literally in the scriptures oftentimes means it's, it's a cry to save. Right? And you cry out to be saved when you're in a desperate place. And that's what this man is saying. He finds himself in a desperate place. It's the same word that we see in Mark 9 where Jesus is healing the son uh, of that man who is demon-possessed. I believe, help my unbelief. You get that desperation in that text there. We see it in other parts of the scriptures as well. Exodus 18. The God, of, the God of my father was my help. That's great. God was your help. He helped you. He upheld you. Big, big whoop. Well, no, you've got to read the next line. And delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Oh, yeah, that, that's, that's like literally saving your life. Okay, I'm tracking. Um, Isaiah 41. I fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will 
help you. Literally, he's saying, I'm going to save you. I'm going to uphold you with my righteous right hand. See, there's an urgency. There's an urgency. You ever been at the scene of an accident? You ever been like one of the first people on the scene of an accident? I've only had that happen one time in my life. We were actually, when we were living in Austria, I coached our um, boys' basketball team. We were driving back from Salzburg. It was late at night, middle of winter. It was cold, cold, cold. And I came around a bend on the interstate, and there was this van. I mean, it was literally upside down. Stuff littered everywhere. It was smoke coming out, all kinds of stuff. And so we uh, peeled off, and uh, I went running back to the van. I told the students, I was me and, and students in, in the car, and I said, just hold on, uh, just hang tight. So I ran back, and when I got to the car, uh, three people in the car, you know what they said? I said, oh, man, I'm so glad you're here. If you, you, know, if you could just wouldn't mind swinging the door open, that'd be great. And if you could pick, no, help, is what they were saying. They wanted out. And thankfully, thankfully, it wasn't tragic. It wasn't super serious. But shaky, fearful, get us out. See, and I fear for far too many of us when it comes to the gospel is we've lost sight of the urgency of what's really going on. And you think about the reality you think about the reality that right now someone has entered into eternity and someone else, someone else, someone else, right? I mean, I could do this all day. Get the point. It's urgent. It's urgent. Now, I fully trust the sovereignty of God, but I recognize that you and I have a great responsibility to communicate the message. We can't lose sight of the urgency. And then finally this, verse 10. They're persistent, they're urgent, verse 10. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. See, they're obedient. They're obedient. They're like, okay, got it, let's go. Pack up, move out. I know where we're heading, let's do this. And they're on their way. They're gone. Moving on. See, there's an obedience here. And are we willing to be obedient are we willing to go immediately? Are we willing to respond immediately to what God has for us, what he calls us to do and be? One of the things, one of the things that Becky and I do with our kids is we talk a lot about first-time obedience. Listen, mom and dad, when we tell you something, we expect you to do it the first time. We want you to do it the first time. Now, our kids are like anybody's kids. Sometimes they do it the first time, but more often than not, they don't. All right? But see, what we, what we use that as is we like to follow that up with, listen, you have to understand that this, this is just a training ground. Mom and dad are just a training ground. Because today it's us, tomorrow it's going to be God. And mom and dad are going to be a lot more gentle and a lot more gracious when it comes to the first time obedience thing than God is. And so you probably want to get it right now so that when you step up and you grow out or grow up and, and, and move out, that when it's God telling you to do something, you know exactly what it is to be obedient the first time. And that's exactly what these guys are doing here. Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul didn't see the vision immediately, it's like, okay, got it, let's go. He knew exactly who that was from. I mean, Luke doesn't tell us till the end of verse 10, but Paul knew immediately. He's like, hey, God, God said it, let's do it, let's go. And are we willing to be obedient? Heart for sharing the gospel where we're persistent. We're just gonna keep pressing on. We're urgent. We recognize the severity of what's at stake and we're gonna be obedient. We're gonna respond to God's call immediately. As we move through these next few weeks, as we move through this next missionary journey of Paul, we'll see the intellectual aspect. We'll see the physical aspect. But loved ones, if we don't get the heart part right, it doesn't matter. 
You can have all the tools, you can have all the resources, you can have all the things you could possibly want, but if you don't have the heart part, it's not going to matter. Do we have a heart for the gospel? Do we have a heart for the gospel? God help us, God help us that we would have a heart for the gospel. Let's pray.